recognise wisdom is that you can have too much of a good thing. Here at Public Service Podcasting, we're not quite so sure. Sometimes we think something is so good, we need plenty of it. And that's why we split today's show with Professor Janine O'Flynn from the Australia and New Zealand School of Government, aka ANZOG, into two parts. In this first part, we talked to Janine about her background and how she got to where she is, as well as looking at some of the differences between the public administration scene in Australia and the UK. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Public Service Podcasting, your inside look into the world of public service scholarship and practice. Hello and welcome to Public Service Podcasting, where we take an inside look at all matters, public administration, public management, generally public sector. Um, We have uh, an excellent episode um, today and we are very, very lucky to have Professor Janino Flynn with us, um, but also in the podcast, my co-host Ian Elliott. Ian, do you want to say hi? Hello, everybody. And Janine, just say hi. Hi, everybody. I, I just said, just said hi. You didn't. The everybody was was superfluous, but okay, that's fine. Totally fine. Um, so uh, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for trying to get the diaries to uh, and time zones to kind of coalesce. It's not uh, necessarily the easiest thing. It kind of just about works the beginning of one or the end of another, doesn't it? Day wise. Yeah. Um, we will um, just kick off with a bit of a general question. Um, maybe just give us a little bit about you, introduce yourself. I know lots of people who listen will know you. I, I know that they will. But, you know, there may be some people out there who have been living in remote areas who uh, have not come across your um, scholarship. So just yeah, tell us who you are, where you've come from, and sort of what's brought you to where you are now. Okay, well, thanks, Ross and Ian, for having me. And it's... Um... It's great to have a chance to chat with you across the Great Divide, but um, interestingly made much more easy now by our total obsession with technology and the fact that we're all sitting in our lounge rooms or cupboards or kitchens or wherever we are working now, um, which is changing us in many ways, I think. So thanks a lot for for inviting me to have a chat. Um, I'm a professor of public management at the University of Melbourne in Australia, and um, I'm on the comment, along the comment, actually, at the moment, to something called the Australia and New Zealand School of Government, which is a, a pretty interesting institution that works across Australia and New Zealand, all the jurisdictions of those countries, to bring together uh, government and a series of universities in in focusing on uh, training public servants, particularly senior public servants, and I can talk a little bit about that as we as we think about sort of what the scene is like in in Australia a little bit later as we as we chat today. Um, it's weird how you end up where you are, I think, and I never would have imagined when I went off to university that I'd ever become an academic, mainly because I had no idea what an academic was, and I didn't really, you know, sort of come from. A family tradition of going to university so I, uh, I sort of grew up in a small country town a relatively small country town and I went off to university at the age of 17 with no idea what I was going to do with my life and um, I sort of in a in a very nice way fell into academia and it was interesting in a way because it was it was sort of like a series of non-choices at different sort of points in in life and so I, I ended up doing a PhD because I did my honours and someone said to me, hey, you should do a PhD. And I said, well, what's a PhD? What's that really about? And um, so I stuck around and did that. And as as I was getting to the end of that and looking at 
what I might do post PhD uh, for work. I looked at a range of different things and ended up, you know, sort of realizing, I think I'd realized it before that, that I really loved research. And so I stayed on um, in academic life and never really left. And it's funny, I talked to a, a bunch of my my colleagues, some of my close ones in, in particular, and it's a common story, I think, for a, for a whole group of us that we sort of, in a really nice way, fell fell into academia because we were, were really driven by, you know, a sort of passion for research, but also looking at really complex issues. I often say that as a kid, all I did was sort of argue or read, um, and now I get paid to do that. <laughs> sort of argue. I have to write as well. It's living yeah. the dream, you know. So, um, so I sort of, I think it, for me, it was really driven by this idea of understanding sort of the mess and trying to make sense of that. And and so I started out looking at issues around local government contracting and and why it was that we had these massive reforms borrowed from elsewhere that didn't seem to quite work. And and I think that's sort of been my driving force, this messy reality of what happens in the public sector, what makes it unique, what makes it um, a place where we sort of have these ongoing questions and tensions that we never quite answer and we can never get anything quite right. And there's something to me that's really fascinating about studying that, but then also thinking about what we might do to, to sort of contribute to that. So as I sort of reflect, I'm getting, uh, you know, a fairly long way <laughs> along in my uh, career now. Um, I, I sort of think I was driven by that, that mess, but also this sense of, of trying to make a difference in some, some way. And I think you get to certain points in your career where you, you have these reflective moments, you know, at the start, it's all fast and furious and what am I doing and learning the culture of things and learning these unwritten rules about how academia works and who does what and who are the, um, you know, who's who in the zoo and, and how everything works. But there's a point, there's points I think where you get to where you, you have a chance for that reflection and you really think about what it is that you're, what you're doing here and, and why it's important. So that's how I sort of ended up where I am. And I often say I'm a, I'm a boomerang because I started my undergraduate at the University of Melbourne and did my PhD there. Um, I left there and went to University of Canberra, which was the hub of public admin at the time. And from there I went to the Australian National University and then I came back to the University of Melbourne um, and so for me, it was this sort of experience of being thrown from the nest where I was trained and, and weirdly ending up back there in a way that I never sort of thought that, that I would. And yeah, mm. that's sort of my story. And uh, Jenny, what was it about public admin that, that drew you to that particularly when it came to doing a PhD? Um, mm. I think your first degree was, was more business orientated, wasn't it? So what was it that really brought you into public admin? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question because I did I did a bachelor of commerce, so my my specialisations, which is you know sort of like the arts degree for um, for the business world in a way, and I mean that in a very in a very positive way. It was a it's a sort of build your own eclectic mix at the time I I did it, and um, almost a liberal arts degree, but making you do a few years of economics and and statistics really, <laughs> and so I I I did that and. I sort of got lost actually in that. So I did a, a year or two of my undergraduate. I left for a year 
um, a bit disenchanted with what I was doing and I couldn't quite get my finger on what it was that I was interested in. I came came back to university and I took a year off and worked in a cafe um, in Carlton, just near the main campus of the University of Melbourne, uh, very famous, famous sort of cafe strip there. And um, I sort of contemplated life as you do as a 20-year-old or something. And, <laughs> and I came back and, and I sort of found my way much more into areas like um, I was doing quite a bit of gender studies and I did some some industrial relations policy and, and so on and I started to get really interested in in those ideas. But my, my training before that had really been in economics and organizational theory. And so I sort of that that's shaped me a lot for good and good and bad. But it gave me a language and a toolkit really for thinking yeah. about how organizations work and the context they're in. And I, I ended up actually, again, accidentally in public administration. I had no training in politics or public admin and I was looking at doing my honours thesis and my supervisor at the time had a colleague who was, who was working as a consultant on the outsourcing of cleaning services at a hospital, at a dental hospital in Melbourne. And he said, perhaps that would be an interesting project for you to work on. Anyway, that, that project fell through. But in preparing to do that work, I became um, sort of obsessed with the fairly recent at that time introduction of compulsory competitive tendering into mm. the local government sector in Victoria and the massive reforms that went along with that. So we followed the UK but did it on steroids. And <laughs> it was just, it, to me, it, it had everything. It was, you know, it was politics, it was organisations, it was contracts, it was a total mess, it was, you know, the aspirations for transformational system-wide reform and all of the disasters at the local level that often come with that. And and so that's where I sort of landed. And, in fact, for me, I, I learnt about public admin through that. Yeah. And so to understand what was going on there, I had to had to really catch up and, I remember when I was finishing my PhD and looking at applying for jobs, I couldn't quite work out where I would end up because I did a PhD in a management school in an economics faculty and my PhD had been on local government contracting and I wasn't didn't have an undergraduate in politics or, or the like. Yeah, and so yeah. I kept thinking, where the hell am I ever going to fit? And in some ways that's become... My greatest, one of my greatest strengths as an academic has been being a sort of boundary spanner and being able to draw on those different ideas that, that I was trained in, but also not thinking too narrowly in a discipline. I often used to say I don't really have a discipline um, and I'm a bit of a magpie picking up what, what works and what can help me to understand something. So, so I was hmm. drawn to the problem and the, the sort of phenomena at the time and for me, that's what brought me into public admin and management. But I learnt a lot of it after I already started. Yeah, I think so a lot of people I, have that experience. Yeah. In in in, in in public admin of not knowing where they kind of sit, mm. um, especially people within kind of business schools and things. If they're interested in public services, I yeah. think a lot of people have that feeling of of you know, where is my intellectual home almost. 
but mm-hmm. you almost you, you're sort of describing that as a as a benefit in many ways because you're you're able to straddle the two in a way or or or, or certainly take insights from both perspectives which i think is a really positive way of looking at that where others might see that as a real challenge and a real and a negative almost you're, you're you're describing it in those kind of boundary spanning ways as as actually a positive thing a good thing yeah it's to me it's ended up that way i mean at various points along the time i've been <laughs> advised to to you know come up with my story my catchphrase <laughs> i remember being i remember being interviewed um for the position that at the Australian National University and I was about, I think I was maybe four or five years, maybe four years out of my PhD. And the the guy who ended up hiring me and was the head of school and went on to be the the dean there, I remember saying, you have to learn your line. What's it going to be? You know, have a, have a sentence. And it wasn't an elevator pitch, but it was saying, <laughs> you know, you're working across these different areas and, and for you it's going to be important to have a sort of catchphrase about who you are and and I think that was really it sounds trite but it was really good advice when you're a person who who wants to be able to work in that way and who who really enjoys doing that it's important to be able to have a fairly clear view of who you are you don't have to fit into other people's boxes uh, in any way but you have to have a, a sort of almost an adaptive story particularly if you're on the job market um yeah and and being able to to tell tell a, a sort of narrative of who you are and how the work that you do um, fits in <clears throat> in some some ways. The other thing I found really useful was when I sort of finally found my people, and um, and it was it's interesting as a PhD. I had terrific terrific colleagues and environment doing my PhD, but I was there wasn't people other people doing sort of public admin or, or management work, but I was surrounded by this extraordinary diverse group of people doing, you know, all sorts of topics and that was also a very formative experience for me. And um, But finding your sort of tribe is so important and, mm-hmm. and for me that was through institutions like the IRSPM or, you know, the Public Management Research Association and, and just working out for you where those people are and who you can actually have a conversation with and you have sort of shared language and you're caring about the same things. And to me that was really important to find that tribe and um, and that to me was also a really important development in my own career was to, was to finally find where those people were and what they were up to. I really like that sense of, you know, this is your tribe and finding that. And uh, I think as Ian said, you know, we've all sort of got, stories um that share some elements with that and i remember my my very first irspm which is the one in birmingham which is where we where we first met um walking across that square um to go and kind of register and get coffee with uh with zoe radner who's my supervisor at the time and um she just we're just walking along she just turned to me and she looked and said russ i think these are going to be your people um and it was a very kind of acute observation from her that you know i i'd come from because i got a a different pathway i'd come from from working in the public sector for local government and then we're moving into academia and and needed to find my people again having you know moved away from my people i suppose so i really really like that story um 
two questions for you or one question with two parts. So this narrative, this line or your hook or whatever it would be, you know, what did you say at the time um, for the interview and what would you say it is now? <laughs> I have, have no idea what I said in the interview. Perhaps because I wasn't saying it, he gave me that advice. I was probably fumbling around for some sort of um, description as you often do at that point in your career yeah. if you're not in a sort of, um, you know, people who are in a, in a strict discipline and and so on, I think often have an advantage at that point in their their mm. career because they can tell us tell a very coherent story. Um, those of us who are sort of, um, you know, now I can say boundary spanning and so on, but in a classically Australian way, I could also say all over the shop, doing <laughs> lots of different things. Yeah. Um, you know, often seen as being incoherent. And in or not focused, or you know they don't haven't made decisions, and and I think early on in in the career to to sort of stifle that is really problematic, and so that's one of the things I really dislike about mm. modern academia: this sense of trying to get people to fit into very narrow boxes. And we can talk about that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit later. Now I I sort of say I'm interested in. Um, I'm interested particularly in reform and relationships. Mm. And in a sense, that just, that gives me an umbrella to do anything. But to me, they're the two sort of, um, I suppose, meta things that I've always been interested in. And most of the time they connect together. Um, but it's meant I've been able to, you know, to study everything from joined up government to the morality of outsourcing and, and anything in between, in a sense, with, but still staying in those those big phenomena, and to me that's where I've I've really been able to carve out sort of my identity as an academic, but also had a lot of space to move around. Um, and I think that it helped me at that point that um, Andrew McIntyre, who was the guy I'm talking about, really pushed me to think about what that was, and it was a really helpful helpful thing at that that point in my career mm. to say what what am I actually doing here what are the things that I care about and I took it in that way rather than fit yourself into a box or no one's going to no one's going to ever hire you or, or so on he did hire me by the way but um I think he could he could see that the terrain I was covering was really interesting but for my own you know sort of personal identity in the field I was going to need to to be able to say what that was and so it was very helpful I've heard people describe that as kind of um, an arc. What's you know what's the overall arc of your career, or maybe trajectory might be another word. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's the sort of the core of it, and everything always comes back to that more or less. Yeah. Um, but that's when you pull it all together. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to pick up on on something you said earlier, which going back to the to the research on CCT and the idea that um, Australia had kind of taken that on, um, but you know, on steroids, as you put it. Um, and I think you actually spent some time early early on in in the UK. Is that right, Janine? Yeah, I did. I yeah. um, I just a, a little bit like when I was doing my PhD, I came across and um, and was just meeting with people at at the time, talking about sort of what was going on in Australia yeah. and and so on. And, and I was very very lucky. I got a, a small sort of fellowship at the time which allowed me to do that in fact it was my first trip overseas again a very Australian sort of sure um, and where were you based passage. 
at that stage I was at the University of Melbourne, but when I came across, I was just doing short visits with people. So I met with okay. people like um, Trevor Colling and Dexter Whitfield, um, people who were really looking at sort of issues I really liked at the time um, mm. the and the work on sort of hybrid organising that was happening coming out of, yeah. of the UK mm. and yeah. and so on. And so I wasn't sort of based any, anywhere. I came across for the um, British Academy of Management Conference. It was my first big international okay. conference, which was mm. very exciting. Um, <laughs> and, and it was my first sort of trip overseas. And so I visited with a bunch of people just, you know, like briefly. I didn't do a big, big, long yeah. um, sort of stay. But that was really, really helpful. And, and to me, one of the things that was really is really challenging about being in Australia, much less so now. Well, actually at the moment it's terrible, but um, much less so at the moment is this sort of tyranny of distance. So, you know, there's a, a sense that as a community we're sort of in many ways very far um, from everything, even if we're very connected. So getting the opportunity to sort of meet the people whose work I was reading at the time was really, really fantastic. Yeah, and one of the things I always like to ask people who've 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 come over to the UK is is how they see the UK, how they see UK academia. I always think that's really interesting to see how we're perceived from from outside. Um, we, you know, I think certainly a lot of of British, particularly public admin scholars, have a particular view on um, Australia and on the you know the system within Australia and the work of Anzog and so on. Yeah. Um, but I'd be intrigued to know. Um, based on your, you know, your early experiences of being in the UK and and indeed, you know, ongoing um, engagement with people within the UK, how how you see it and how you see how you see public admin in the UK. I mean, it's really it's really interesting because you know I have an extraordinary set of colleagues and friends now um, in the UK. Some of them here in Australia, some of them in the UK, yeah. um, of course, but. It's it's to me it's fascinating because we always have I think Australians have this um, this built in strange sort of deference to the to the UK um, in academia we often laugh and say that you know people could come and say anything in a seminar in Australia as long as they were um, English then everyone would listen um, and and we could say the same thing and no one would care so we we sort of have a joke about this it's a very Australian way of thinking about the world but. Um, I mean, one of the things that really strikes me, and it may be totally untrue, is that the community there is relatively tight-knit and it's also deep. So, um, and you'll have your own views on whether that's thinning out over time and um, and so on as, as sort of the discipline often goes through these, these sort of cycles of prominence and not and, um, and, and what that does to schools of public administration or clusters of people studying public administration. But I've always thought that there was a, a sort of depth um, there and also a concentration. I mean, you're geographically close to each other mm. and and so that allows for a much more relational way of operating and, you know, to be able to say, well, we're, just, we're going to go to this workshop that's a couple of hours away or, or so on, is totally different. We say, oh, let's go to a conference. Oh, it's only 24 hours on an airplane. And so, <laughs> which we which for us is nothing. <laughs> so um, it's, I think there's just something about having a, 
you know, a large enough group of people but also proximity to each other. Now, whether you capitalise on that or not is a different question and and the sort of, um, you know, as I said, the sort of cycle of, um, you know, expansion and contraction of the discipline and the number of people and what gets taught yeah. and schools and so on is just, I mean, we have that here as well in, in Australia, but I've always had a sense there that that there is a relatively strong community, and I think that there's no question that people are are often um, are often doing stuff that's really at the cutting edge. So, mm. and and part of that, I I think, is really that we're on this. We you know we have this sort of international borrowing of ideas, right? So. Um, my my wonderful friend Helen Dickinson, who you know very well, yeah. came mm-hmm. to Australia and she said she came to Australia and she thought she was done with ever talking about commissioning again. Um, she'd done so much work on it when she was at University of Birmingham and she arrived in Australia to the absolute obsession of everyone in Australia with commissioning and she had to like restart her commissioning engine and <laughs> um and then everybody, all everybody wanted to talk to her about was commissioning and she thought she'd sort of wrapped up that topic and was moving on to many other things. So we and, and we often, I say we often have this sort of conveyor belt of ideas and it, it seems to go from New Zealand to the UK and back to Australia. Um, yeah. So anything that's happening in the UK is three or four years ahead of us here um, and so we're reading all the stuff that's coming out of that going, oh, wow, look at all this very cool stuff that's happening in the UK, and then all of a sudden it lands with us um, <laughs> in practice. So it's it's a really interesting yeah. way to describe to dis- to describe it because I think I think a lot of people in the UK look to Australia with with a degree of of envy. I think um, you know particularly those in in public admin because it I think it it seems f- you know for for many of us that um, you know that, that there's a really strong public admin uh community in australia in in a way that you know it has suffered a degree of decline in in the uk over over well quite a few decades now um and 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 i think you know key to the to the to the profile of of australia in that is is the work of anzog i would say which which you know we don't really have an equivalent to in the uk yeah I think that's a really good point. You know that the we we quite scattered here now in terms of you know public management, public admin, academics. Um, Ian and I work in Manchester and Newcastle, respectively. Neither of us live in those two cities. Um, you know, there's there isn't the same critical mass in terms of numbers. I think that we have, and obviously Australian universities, you've got fewer of them, but they're a lot bigger um, yeah. because that's the only way you can make the economics of it work as well and I think I think that is a really good point that we we also lack that um, I think I'm going to say that respect at a national level for the discipline yeah. of whatever you call yeah. managing and improving and developing public services um, and that still feels like something that's really more respected in Australia is that is that fair do you think I mean I think um, I'll give, give an example which which I think is a is a good one. I mean, we we suffer many of the same challenges um, here with you know the waxing and waning of the discipline, and and that is you know often best tracked I think through um, you know the peaks and troughs in a sense of of degree programs like you know can we attract enough people to come and 
um, study with us and are we closing down or opening new programs and, and so on. I think that's that's a really important um, indicator of of the mood of, of public admin in any any country. Um, and and I think I mean it's interesting, I was talking with a group of my colleagues just a few days ago we, who were sort of worried about the future of what we might call public admin and management in Australia. I'm less worried about it because I can see this um, extraordinary generation of people coming up through the field who may not call themselves public admin, but they're certainly in that space. And I think that's yeah. the other thing that that we could we could chat about. But um, there was a, a really interesting and uh, review that happened in Australia from 2018 to 19, the Independent Review of the Australian Public Service, our national public service here. And it's only the third time we've ever had an independent independent review the last um, one that was you know substantial was in the 1970s and it, and it looked at the shape and scale and activity of the public service through a in that that case it was a royal commission um, and and really set out an agenda for the Australian public service which is still referred to now as sort of you know the Coombs Royal Commission and what it means for public administration to this day um, so a couple of years ago there was a a similar, not not as, um, well, I don't want to say not as important because it is as important, it's just a different institutional arrangement, but there was an independent review which was done, um, which went for about about a year and also released a, an, a big manifesto for the transformation of the public service in, in Australia. Now, one of the things that the, that the review group did was commission um, six major research papers to input into that process um, and and in doing that they they selected a group of um, academics they commissioned ANZOG the Australian New Zealand School of Government to oversee that process and then ANZOG worked with the review team to identify the appropriate people to undertake the research and what they did was that they paired academics with um, practitioners who had a lot of experience in the practice of those areas and got us to work together to produce these papers which would inform um, the report and and hopefully the the sort of transformation over the next few decades of of that service so I was invited to to pair with a um, practitioner who has a lot of experience looking at commissioning and contracting and we basically wrote the blueprint for 2030 for what would commissioning and contracting look like in the Australian public service. And um, and in that case, that, that was a great example, in fact, of the, um, the way in which academics um, who, are, who are researching in this area are thought of in Australia, so they were invited in to do that work. Um, they didn't, you know, they also invited in some consulting firms, but they didn't invite them to come in and do the research work. They actually went to people who were, um, renowned for being experts in this area and ask them to envisage, you know, what what would this look like in two decades if we had it right? And, and we're given pretty free reign to do that in a way that could be provocative and could really um, inform and shape that process. And so that that's a great example of, um, you know, academics being seen as important and influential and um, being able to have input uh, into that, at the same time, I think, um, like many many academics, we bemoan when we aren't invited to do things. But um, and I look to my to my my friend and 
um, you know, the wonderful sort of Twitter god, which is Don Moynihan, who every mm-hmm. time um, he's reading the media and an economist is asked to comment on something in public administration, he says, you know, public management expert here, please ask me if you need to know. <laughs> and, oh, you know, so there's this, you know, like how, how do we take that space, which is, you know, being invited to comment on things that are happening in our patch that we have expertise on. I think that's a that's an interesting thing um, for us to think about as well. I think as a side note, Don Moynihan was uh, one of the people I would term my sort of academic crush as in someone I, you know, massively looked up to. Uh, and I do remember... <laughs> to introduce me to him because i he, yeah. we were at the same conference and i was uh, i was too shy to go over and say you know long time leader big fan dom uh, but he's an awesome guy yeah it's, it's awesome. very funny i said to him when we finally met we've become quite close friends via twitter which is hysterical and um and i think also um for many academics who tend to be in reality quite introverted it's a great way to meet and then you can do the real yeah. life thing. And I, when, I, when we actually met, which was very funny because we just walked over and started chatting to each other, um, I said, I think we should tweet this and, and my, um, my tagline's going to be much less impressive in person. <laughs> <laughs> which, he thought, which he thought was hysterical. But, um, yeah, he, you know, he, he's one who always calls it out, you know, like he, yeah. he's saying, why are you asking this person who doesn't know anything about our world to comment on it? You know, he's he's ten economists commenting on, you know, how the federal government in the United States should change. Well, how about asking some public admin scholars? They might know something. Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's an enormous, I think, frustration. I know I have. I'm sure you have as well, Ian. You know, it's one of the things that we um, take quite passionately is this desire to try and breach the barrier almost between academia and you know the world of practice as we sometimes kind of call it and I think other cultures seem to do it better you know I I know a number of people over in Japan and they seem to have a more permeable barrier that people will come out of industry be that public sector or private sector and then go and get a PhD and then go back into um, you know working for water utilities or or local Mm. government whatever it would be and we you know I suppose it's easy always to put the boot into your own culture but it does feel like we don't really value the the intellectual nature uh, of this as a study and I, I always think that's an enormous shame. I mean I look to the Americans and not for very many things I must say at the moment but um, <laughs> one of the things that always impress me I, I just give a little shout out to my American friends there but <laughs> one of the things that always impressed me about the the relationship between um, academia and practice in the United States, and perhaps it's just an outsider looking in, was this um, this notion of people moving in and out of government. And I remember being in in the US um, nearly ten years ago with my great friend uh, Debbie Blackman, who you both know, and uh, Michael O'Donnell, and we we're working on this big project um, on performance management in the Australian Public Service. And we were working very collaboratively, and we did three or four years with the Australian Public Service Commission on how could they um, rethink the performance management system in the Australian Public Service, just a small project, obviously. (laughs) And and we went to the US and I remember we got the opportunity to meet with uh, Shelley Metzenbaum. Shelley Metzenbaum was in the Office of Management and Budget um, and her job was to oversee the President Obama's performance agenda, you know, a small task. And she had had one of these careers where she'd been... um, 
in academia, in government, and, and moved in now. It's a very American thing, you know, like you, you sort of flush out the system and you bring in all your own people um, when government changes. But I remember saying to her, um, she'd written this uh, sort of manifesto of performance management. And one of the things I love in that happens in the US with each new administration is that you get um, key thinkers basically writing advice and instruction to the next administration yeah. about what they might think about doing. And she'd written this piece um, on sort of performance management for the next administration and it had been published with the IBM Centre for the Business of Government, which does really great sort of applied work and and often has academics writing uh, for practice. And, and so she had written this manifesto and then she said to me, I, I got the call from President Obama, would I like to come and work there? And, you know, I got to say to her, well, did you get to do it? And so we talked through this process of, you know, the writing the manifesto and what she was able to do in government. And I remember um, many times I've told that story to my students when we're looking at Shelley's work. And I say, no one, no one ever rings me up and says, hey, we're in government. Can you come and fix stuff? And like, I said, it's a very American thing to get the call from the White House to, to down tools, whether you're running a Silicon Valley company or you're mm. a professor in a university to come and serve the president and yeah. um, and bring that set of skills. And I think it's a really missing piece of um, of what we do. Yeah, I never got that call. Well, I, I, I'm still waiting for that phone call from Boris Johnson or Robert Jemry <laughs> yeah. to say, come on, Russ, there's only you can dig us out of this hole. You know, we've deliberately exactly. not had any policy for local government for the last 10 years, but we now think... Yeah, yeah. You are the expert for- that we've all been waiting for. Yes. Now that said, I yeah, that said, I don't, I don't want to imply that um, that advice is not sought because um, you know, one of the things about being an academic in Australia is you know, in a sense, the world is small, and and one of the great things about working um, at Anzog and and when I've been at um, the ANU and also at Melbourne is working in the classroom with really experienced professionals, and it's not uncommon to get a call from them or an email saying. I'm working on something I really like your advice or could we have coffee? That's a very Melbourne thing. Can we have coffee to sort this mm. out? Or, um, you know, we, we're about to implement this new policy and we'd really value your advice on the language we're using or, or so on. And and that mm. sort of informality um, and that, that relational work with practitioners is so important. And I think that we do, uh, I certainly know within the group of people that, that I know very well in academia, in Australia, that's really normal day-to-day work for us. Yeah, and it's yeah. not it's not captured in any ridiculous academic workload model or ticked off in your performance metrics or anything. But to me, it's the absolute bread and butter of what we do is, is yeah. having a finger on the pulse of what's happening and Absolutely. being able to, to help mm. people do that. But also at the same time, really learning about um, you know, right in the moment, what it is that people are struggling with, and that's really helpful for our research as well. I think. Yeah, that 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 sort of informal relationship, I don't even think exists in the UK. You know, we don't we don't have the formal or the informal. I I, I do feel as though as, as Russ was describing, there is there is a, a greater divide. Yeah. I don't know, Russ. What do you think? I, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, I'll talk about this administration or these do the last conservative administrations outside of some quite narrow think tanks who 
yeah. frankly, are pseudo academic at best, at best. You know, there doesn't really seem to be much um, of that. I think during the 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 new Labour years, you know, you had people like Jeff Morgan and yeah. Demos, and there was more, I think, of that happening. Or even if it wasn't advice um, from outside coming into government, there was maybe a bit more of um, government sending people out to go and learn from and talk to. Um, And I know, Ian, you, for example, were involved in um, the MPA programme kind of helping train um, civil servants. So that that's, you know, one side of that one facet, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all we all teach public management or public admin. but I think in terms of that engagement with policy, that direct engagement and that, that sense yeah. that someone in Whitehall would pick up the phone and say, okay, Russ, what do you think about this? Yeah. You know, I, I just don't think that wouldn't, no, and that's nothing to do with you. You know, I've rung up the Department for Communities and Local Government a number of times and said, listen, I've got some quite trenchant views about the best value performance indicator regime. Share with me. And, uh, yeah. Oh. Maybe yeah, I just don't think that answer. happens. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, we, we, we laugh, but, you know, I think there really is a, a completely serious point there that this would be something, I think, so worth doing. Um, and, you know, one of the beauties, um, when I worked in local government, I was politically restricted because I was at a particular level. So I'm not allowed to be, uh, to advertise for a political party or to campaign or have leaflets or, you know, poster in the window, that sort of thing. And one of the things I really liked about moving into academia was the freedom to more or less say what I wanted to say about some of those things. Mm. I, I went from having been the person who, you know, ran the performance regimes for, for local authorities and designed them to being somebody who, who, you know, took a step back and said, hang on a second, I'm not quite sure about some of these anymore, you know. And this, as I call it, this, you know, kind of gamekeeper turned poacher conversion. Um, and, you know, they're just that freedom. We should be encouraging, I think, government to say, you know, listen to us. Don't just listen to me or listen to me and Ian. Listen to me, Ian, and some, you know, crazy person over there who's got a completely different view. And then make your mind up based on what you think of all of it. But but there isn't that kind of access to debate. I mean, other than possibly, you know, a couple of historians, when was the last time you saw an academic on Question Time, I guess? You've been listening to Public Service Podcasting with Russ Glennon, Ian Elliott and Karen Bottom.